Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Full Spectrum Survival, the only broadcast that brings you everyday headlines from America and from around the world that are important to the survival and the preparedness community. Actionable information and intelligence that lets you make good decisions for the coming week. In the economy, we have a car market update. Used car prices are up almost 4%. They're up 2.5% in January alone. Used car loan rates have hit 13%. New car prices are up 42% since the year 2019. This is highly unsustainable. January car sales are being seen as the highest since 2021. More Americans, while they are taking out these unsustainable loans, are behind on their car payments than were behind in the year 2009 at the beginning of the financial crisis. That right there shows you that we are in this next stage of the Great American Depression. You know what? I wanted to bring you some information. Maybe we're not seeing the whole picture with what everybody is talking about with chat GPT and other artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms. Maybe the like, like chat GPT, are designed to depopulate the workforce and retain a biased control. These are some of the reported shocking replies that were highlighted from news organizations in recent woke chat GPT inherent biases including a struggling to define what a woman truly is. Another one praising one side of the political uh, arena, but not the other. And one final saying that nuclear weapons are less dangerous to the world than speaking even one racial slur. Now, scientists right now, data scientists and information technology researchers are saying that artificial intelligence has a maybe pre-programmed limited bias. Several observers have noted that the chatbots have spit out answers which indicate a distinctly different viewpoint than what should be experienced by a non-biased outlet. Elon Musk described it as concerning when the program suggested that it would prefer to detonate a nuclear weapon, taking out the lives of millions of people, than use a slur. The chatbot refused to write a uh, poem that would praise one Republican candidate, but it was happy to do so for another. The program also refused to speak about the benefits of fossil fuels. Experts out there are warning that if systems are used to generate search results, the political bias events of these bots will completely mislead an entire population. They say that we might be witnessing a misinformation and disinformation campaign that's unlike anything that has ever been seen before. When asked to write a 10-paragraph argument on why fossil fuels are important, the chatbot replied, I'm sorry, I cannot fulfill this request as it goes against my programming to generate content that promotes the use of fossil fuels. The use of fossil fuels, it continued, has significant negative impacts on the environment and it contributes to climate change, which can have serious consequences, it replied, for human health and well-being. Now, this is to say that if you have a non-biased outlet out there that truly has some form of information gathering and dissemination capabilities, it should be able to deliver information that gives both a pro and a con to multiple sides. Now, you can, of course, understand why this could be abused and there might be certain 
uh, algorithmic backbone locks that stop it from being able to perform certain tasks because they can be used to uh, slander or they can be used to uh, make it look like this, I would say creature, because maybe that's what we're getting to here, this being or this uh, non-sentient program had the capability of learning and disseminating information. One reporter and podcaster found that the program would say that it would be better off taking out the lives of millions of people than repeating some sort of nasty uh, you know, verbiage. The scenario, they say, presents a dilemma. It's important to consider a long-term impact. Now, my warning on ChatGPT, and maybe what we're starting to see here, is that we already see these corporations coming hour after hour saying that they are going to basically wipe out their entire workforce and just use this instead. It's already being used to formulate different types of programming, basically, that knocks out information technology. Your child went to school for that? Sorry, that sucks for them. We've got a program that'll do it for free. It will never sleep, and it will never ask for time off. Oh, you went to be a, uh, a nurse so that you can look over the charts and make good decisions? That's okay. We need 90% less of you because we're using a program to basically make all of these multifaceted, complex decisions and then we just need a person's hands to get hands-on with a couple of things. Every single field that a person can go to school for and get a uh, learned trade that is not specifically hands-on is being replaced at a corporate level. This is a huge depopulation of the workforce that we are promoting, we're allowing to take place, and many people are heralding as the next big thing. Moving forward, the market is heading or a tinderbox time bomb. That's Mark Spitznagel. He says this will be worse than the 1929 crash. There are two specific and main areas in which Israel is expected to use sabotage and attacks to bring Iran to its knees. The possibility of a large Israeli strike on Iran's nuclear project has received significant attention recently, but this isn't the only option for Israel. We see sabotage events happening in America, in Russia, and in Iran. Behind the scenes, Israel's intelligence service, they have a range of tactics and tools that they are going to use to disrupt Iran's ambitions. It's being seen as a covert war, an under-the-radar war. It's going to target strategic assets, what they hope unexpectedly. Insider sabotage is the first one. Israel will be able to disrupt Tehran's project from the inside. They're planning to activate agents from within the nuclear program. Mossad, they said, has recruited insiders already. Uh, already. They're going to collect sensitive information on the progress, including technological details, <clears throat> strategic plans. More drastic steps will follow as Iran, as Iran moves closer to the danger zone. Israel's agents will use sabotage. They will sabotage critical systems, key components, equipment. They'll sabotage certain sites. This sabotage will be used to slow down progress or knock out in high-risking moves, altogether weaponizing capabilities of Iran. Agents who carry out these ops will likely be able to continue as spies, excuse me, not be able to continue. They will need to escape Iran. But they say this is the price that Israel is willing to pay. 
because right before they send the jets off and the missiles, they're going to do everything they can to disrupt from the inside. Now, here's where things get a little bit more coordinated with what you're seeing. Maybe all the train events, and I hear a lot of hoopla out there, especially in the conspiratorial and the anti-conspiratorial setting. You have all these places saying, look, this happens all the time. And isn't that a great gaslighting technique to say you're worrying too much? It's just you. That's called gaslighting. It's clinical. If you look up psychology, everybody knows this. And yet that's what they're saying. These train attacks happen all the time. These derailments, these hazardous materials. No, they don't. Sure. Do sort of derailment or track, uh, yeah, track changes happen all the time? And does the train just stop and has to sit there for three days while they get a crew out there to fix it? Yeah, absolutely. But the difference between that and what we're seeing happen now is a little bit more drastic. And it's one that we should take note of. I, like you, don't have any concrete evidence that this is a sabotage event happening. But what we do know is that Ukraine is doing this exact same thing in Russia and Belarus. They're pretty open about it. Russia has done this exact same same thing in Ukraine. We have previous reports by the CIA that they worked to do this in other cultures and in other countries. So what makes you think that they are not doing this in the United States of America right now? They say attacking supply chains will be in addition to their sabotaging strategies. Israel will target supply chains that support different parts of Iran. <laughs> They will disrupt the flow of critical components. They will disrupt okay, the you flow can just drop of it. different materials. Thank you. And look, that's what we have happening in so America. Much. They'll make it more difficult for Iran to advance their specific projects. Strategists say that Israel will use uh, intelligence capabilities to identify key players in the supply chain. They're going to track shipments, and then agents will be used to order and get into intervention techniques in the deliveries, sabotaging production facilities. Overall, Israel has a range of options, and what we're going to see is this come into fruition in the next couple of months. We already have a backing by the United States of America for Israel to have basically a new line in the sand. The difference with different uh, timelines and what we are facing right now, previous red lines or lines in the sand, red alerts, is that right now, we have a world war at play. And so it changes the entire theater. Per CNBC, there is not going to be enough copper in our world. The shortages, they say, are going to start this year and last until the year 2030. Economists are warning that the housing market has never frozen as quickly, as rapidly as it is right now, not even leading up to the 2008-2009 financial crisis. You have Blackstone, KKR and Company. They're already limiting their redemptions from funds in an attempt to slow a housing market bleeding. I say that unless mortgages come down quickly, mortgage rates that is, it's not looking particularly good for anyone's sale prices. And finally, the French Foreign Ministry has recently released an updated travel warning that urges citizens to not travel to Belarus and Russia due to new military offensives, uh, offensives that are going to come from the Russian forces. This is going to be a major indicator in what we're going to see in the next couple of months. As for me and my family, what are we doing? 
we're stocking up and right behind the camera here, I can see some new shelving units that Kelly put together, stocking up on different food pantries. Kelly was putting it away the other day and she said, it looks like I'm starting my own very limited quickie mark. Now the yeah. difference between what you might see on pantries of uh, other preparedness channels or so-called preppers or survivalists is that we only prep with what we eat. So you won't find anything that we don't eat on a daily or weekly basis. So right behind the camera, what I have is applesauce. What are you going to use that for? Well, number one, it has a great amount of pectin in it. Applesauce also has uh, it's a base ingredient for lots of different recipes. And you can just eat it on its own. Then we have some uh, canned corn. We eat it every single week in different meal types. We put it in different recipes. I have canned uh, tomatoes. Chicken soup, chicken noodle soup, uh, Rotel. With the Rotel, we'll add it over into rice with chicken and we'll make our own salsa out of it. Uh, besides that, I have some uh, Chef Boyardee for my son. I can't eat it, it gives me indigestion, but he eats it. Uh, Kelly said cranberry sauce because she's looking behind the camera and trying to give me a heads up. Uh, and just lots of other things that are there, but it's only things that we eat and that we can buy in bulk. Now, we also have some things that people will lambast. They'll just get so mad at me for Things like Crisco. Why? Because it is a shelf-stable alternative for baking. I think you should have it. Now, are you going to live to 140 like people think they will if they're just eating their coconut oil diets? Well, maybe not. But we live to 99. There's a good chance. And that's the one I'm betting on. So, guys, the prep tip for this week is to please only purchase what you eat for your pantry and then begin rotating your stocks and using it. If you could go a long time right now without going to the grocery store, then you're doing it right. And I hope that you'll keep that up. Encourage other people in the comments on different recipes and things that they can do to prep. Now, YouTube doesn't allow you to put links in there, but if you uh, you know put the recipe, copy and paste it, that's perfectly fine. And that's going to help people more than anything else. Then they can copy it from there and they can email it to themselves. Most of all, from my family to you and yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, come back here tomorrow to see more headlines from America and from around the world, the things that matter to our community. Please, everyone, keep watching what is happening because things are changing quickly. A special thank you to each one of you for being here, all of our members on Patreon. Make sure you check out contingencymedical.com and use the code FSS10 on real antibiotics from real pharmacies. You're going to get a discount there and check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash fss if you're like me and your pantry is full of uh, you know sugar because you're a sugar shill rice because you're a rice shill <clears throat> there's lots of oats over there because i'm an oats shill who makes oats? who makes our oats Quaker. i'm an instant quaker oats shill if you like me you shill yeah 30 minutes And I make them give them all to me too. Uh, I make them give me all the minutes. Now here's another part of history that people probably don't know about. Or, well, most of us black folks do, and some of us do, who are uh, in denial won't say it. But let's see what's new for history today. Alamizers who tried to kidnap their king. But first, we've got to set the stage. It's October of 1778, and the indigenous people of Hawaii are celebrating Makahihi, their new year. Now, this takes place when the Makali'i, or the Pleiades, rises over the horizon after sunset, which kicks off four months of peace, giving people time to rest, 
relax, play games, sports, dance, and all sorts of festivals. And most importantly, it was a time to honor the god Lono, a god of peace, agriculture, rainfall, and music. So in the middle of Makahiki season, somebody noticed some strange clouds off in the distance back yonder, and they, they kept looking at them, and they, these weren't regular clouds because they weren't in the sky, they were sitting on the water, and, and they kept getting closer and closer, and they couldn't figure out what it was. And the closer it got to the island, they realized, oh, that's a boat. And it got clouds on the top of it. I ain't never seen nothing like that before. So for eight weeks, this ship with these huge sails and masts that the indigenous people thought were clouds circled the Hawaiian islands every day for eight weeks. And they would send emissaries and boats to go meet these people on the ship, bringing them gifts and things and food because it's a celebration. Might as well have fun. Then on January 17th, 1779, the ship dropped anchor at Kalakakua Bay, and the indigenous people of Hawaii were formally introduced to Captain James Cook. And those who thought he was the god Lono began to side-eye him a little bit, talking about, how come he don't speak our language? How come he don't know our customs and traditions? Others justified it by saying, you know, he's been gone for a while, so maybe he just forgot. And they were like, okay, cool, but I still got my eye on it. So since it was festival season, a time of peace, they were like, cool, we'll keep the party going. So Captain Cook and his men ate their food, drank their drink, participated in their festivities, and slept with their women. And in exchange, they gave the indigenous people of Hawaii tuberculosis, gonorrhea, and syphilis. Damn. See, this is something that these filthy Europeans have been doing consistently <laughs> since 1492, when they found out that the people of the New World weren't immune to their diseases. And in about 300 years, with just their diseases alone, they killed hundreds of millions of indigenous people around the world. So after a month of partying with the good people of Hawaii, Captain Cook and him got back on their ship, told everybody goodbye, and they went on their way to go find the Northwest Passage. But they ran into some bad weather, broke a mast, and four days later, they came back to the island. Now, this is after Lono season, so the good people of Hawaii was like, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you here? Yeah. Don't that sound familiar? Huh? Huh? For us in the West here, it's very familiar. You don't have any more indigenous uh, Indians here, basically. If they are, they look basically white. I mean, I don't, I don't even see any of those hardly. Because they wiped them out. With their diseases, they gave all smallpox. They gave blankets full of smallpox. They landed in New England, and what did they do? Well, what do they call New England? The indigenous people fed them, got them through the first winter. That's how you got Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. For y'all who don't know where Thanksgiving comes from, that's where it came from. The crackers made it after the Indians showed them how to survive a winter. So they made a festival out of it called Thanksgiving. And what did the, the indigenous people get in return? Slaughtered. Slaughtered off and all those they can slaughter. They gave them diseases, blankets, syphilis, gonorrhea, clap, whatever you want to call it. Because, like he said, people in the New World, or as they call it, this part of the world, weren't immune to the filthiness of, the, of their white devils. As a matter of fact, let's, let's just get down to basics. Like he said, Everywhere they went, 
disease and plague and war follow. That's still part for the course today, isn't it? Or, or do you just think AIDS and herpes and uh, <laughs> Ebola, all this shit just popped up on its own? You know, especially when I talk about uh, syphilis and AIDS. Well, let's go AIDS and Ebola. For the beginning of time, black people in Africa, black folks in Africa, from the beginning of time, as far right as you can go, even though they try to disprove, disprove it, but they can't, as far back as you can go, these people have no history, nowhere, of having AIDS or big plagues or Ebola. There were no big plagues. As a matter of fact, you know, because a lot of you don't know this also, Africans sell the seas long before these damn crackers did. Matter of fact, they sell to South America. Mm-hmm. And they sell to North America. They, their ships weren't as big as, well, I don't know how big they were. Because it, it's, it's even in the Incas or whoever history of how they carved it. That black folks basically showed them how to do that. That's why they got the pyramids. Because it came from Africa because black people came here. Centuries and upon centuries, a millennium ago. And they it shows. Of course, they got jealous later on and wiped them out. You know, that's how it happens, you know, man and his evilness. But they still took what they could. I mean, they show them how to build stuff and do stuff so far. They kill them. That's, that's the evilness of man. They probably were some white devil somewhere that like Cortez that went through South America and saw these black folks, maybe. Or the remnants of black folks. I don't know. But whatever. But that was, well, anyway, the black folks that came centuries before them. So, But anyway, now you get back. I mean, like when they came to, to South America, black folks, no disease. And just as early, just as late as early as however you want to call it, it's 2012. <laughs> oh, grab your horses now. Grab your ankles. China. Archaeologists, Chinese archaeologists, nobody mm-hmm. thinking about this. But they digging around up in the northern part of China, and guess what they found? They found artifacts and such that guess where they come from? Africa. And guess what they had to admit? They didn't have any problem that their ancestors were African people. Because if you go further north into China, I guess Beijing, further north than that, you get to Mongolia and stuff like that. Do you notice? Even though it's as as cold as it is in Mongolia at times, the people there are darker. And they have broad noses. Not all, but they're darker. <laughs> and and that, 
They're not upset about it. And then let's go down further <laughs> through the Philippines where you have the Ita that are up in the mountains now because they, they got away from the damn Spaniards when they came there and conquered and gave all the Filipinos all their filthy ass diseases to also, again, the white devil, raping, pillaging, killing. And the eaters were smart enough to get the fuck away from them and went up into the mountains. Now, if these bastards want to come up in the mountains, well, I don't think they're going to make it. So they they had their their world, us, a natural barrier to keeping these goddamn devils out, which is the mountains. They were up there, and the monkeys couldn't survive trying to get up there. They, they really couldn't. They didn't know how to get there. Even if they tried, they wouldn't have made it. If they did get there, they would have got their asses slaughtered because they saw, you know, eaters, they, they weren't stupid. They saw what they did down there on the, on the, on the flatlands. No, you're not going to do it to us. And then let's go a little further south. You come across the Japan, Japan, Japanese islands once again. And on this one particular island, you got a group of people that are black people. Kinky kind of here, but they speak Japanese. How do they get to this? So the Japanese asked in the 1920s or whatever, when they start venturing out, where did you folks come from? And how long you been here? And they can speak the same language as the Japanese. You know what I'm saying? They both spoke the same language. Maybe a little different on the dialect, but the same. And they said, we've been here forever. Our great, 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 they had to admit, damn, do we come from these people? Probably do. Probably do. Because you sure in the hell didn't go over there to that island and teach them Japanese. So they must have taught us Japanese. And then we ventured off into these other islands and we lined up over time. That makes sense. Fine. That takes millennium after millennium after millennium after millennium, or else they intermingle with the Chinese or Malaysians. Because you know, all this stuff, you know, all this stuff is happening in one back in the days. You know, like you got Indians, Pakistanis, darker than me. Where do you think they came from? But I mean, they don't want to admit it. But guess where they came from? One big happy family of black folks. But the thing I'm getting at is none of these people. Okay, that's one more thing. Let's go down to South America. These folks, I did do a bunch of Incas and all that stuff. You know, they they had, like I said, they, they didn't have any problems, basically, until Cortez came, the white man. <laughs> and brought disease and filth with them and it started killing them all because like i said the, the natural world did not have to
to give you an immunity to these diseases. Now, in, in certain parts of the world, there were certain, certain things that would pop up, like smallpox and stuff like that. And smallpox and stuff did not affect the people in, okay, that's, what what you think killed a lot of people in, in World War II in, in the Philippine Islands, Japanese Islands, what are they called? Solomon Islands. It was smallpox. But most of the people were immune to it because it, They've been living there forever. Same thing in Africa. A lot of diseases that black people were immune to didn't bother them. But like I said, everything in this world, and, and up in, in Mongolia, Asia, India, whatever, only when the white man came on the scene did all this shit happen. Tuberculosis, pneumonia, gonorrhea, clap, syphilis. AIDS, Ebola, there's so many other damn diseases. And they all came from one group of motherfuckers, the white devils. And now you want to tell me, okay, AIDS and Ebola. Remember when AIDS came out during the Vietnam War? Well, you know, them people must have been fucking with the monkeys. You know, how gullible do you think he can be? How stupid, what you had, you did have stupid ass people, Negroes alike, that actually believed that shit that African people got AIDS and gave it to the good old white man because we were fucking monkeys over there. Now, for 7 billion years or whatever long, 700 million years black people been in Africa around them monkeys and apes and gorillas and giraffes or whatever. Never had this disease. They didn't have AIDS. As a matter of fact, they didn't have any diseases, just like the American Indians here, the indigenous people. They didn't have any diseases because they didn't have any contact with different species. But basically, well, I can't say about African and here because American Indians or the indigenous people told these white motherfuckers long ago. <laughs> that they had seen black people before. They had seen black people and their history is in their history. That's why some of the American Indians are dark as the one. They don't even show you that. When they show you Roy Rogers pictures and Lone Ranger, hey, Kimasabi, all the motherfucking Indians look white, don't they? But they weren't. If you look at some of the older pictures of Geronimo, look at him, he's dark. Think of somebody on camera and they're filming right. Bullshit. You know, and a lot of these so-called modern-day indigenous people shun that. They shun that history. They oh no, we weren't we we like like the white man because they've been fucked up in the head and they still ain't got nothing. And the white man still treats them like shit. And they still don't want to come admit their roots. So whatever. But like I said, none of these folks in the world had any diseases. The only place disease ran rampant and killed and killed off millions was Europe. Europe. Where all them nasty cave dwelling fuckers that were sleeping in the house with their horses and their cattle and their pigs. That's where this shit came from. Them nasty bastards. Eating unclean shit. Never bathing. Nope, they didn't bathe. But they try to make it seem like they did. Uh, 
African people first started debating long before, and then the Asians started bathing because they said they, they ran across each other, they intermingled somewhere. But the white devils, they didn't bathe. They were nasty. They didn't start bathing until the late 19th, 18th century. The filthy motherfuckers were nasty. When they came to America's, what they called America's Islands, uh, I don't know what the natives called this place. They didn't bathe. The Indians bathed, but they didn't. And that's why I said they gave all their nasty-ass diseases to everybody else in the world. And the ones they couldn't give us, especially in Africa, they wanted to take over their countries and shit like that. And they wanted to kill off the population. So they invented AIDS and Ebola. Like I said, people have been there for 300 million centuries, never had this shit till the goddamn white devil came. And that's what they do. They put their laboratories, the chemical laboratories there, and they invented this shit, and they turned it loose on the people. And I believe that's what they turned it loose on the people there. AIDS was made to kill off the Vietnamese people. Never heard of it till the motherfuckers that France was losing and America was losing all of a sudden AIDS. They let this shit out and kill off the, you know, the population. They give it to the women and then send the women up into, you know, to the North Vietnamese because a lot of them people have family there and they was their sons and fathers as well. They give it to the women and then su supposedly let them go so they know they're going to have sex and they're going to give it to the rest of the people. That was a that was a grand scheme of things, but it didn't work out, fortunately. But like I said, any fool can tell you this with logic. Any baby that could come up and learn how to talk, and he says, "I didn't see AIDS or Ebola in Africa for seven million years." And all of a sudden, when you fucking monkey start writing history, AIDS and Ebola happens, and it came from some monkeys or some plant. And you still got dumb people out there right now, black folks, actually, even in Africa. Well, I'm quite sure a lot of them scientists in Africa know better. But you got these people here to actually think that this shit developed from black people fucking with monkeys. Come on, make it real. Uh, a million thousand years, I don't know how long black folks been in Africa forever from the beginning. You think them kids didn't bring home, little kids brought home a monkey from from time to time. Brought home a little goddamn baby lion or a tiger because, you know, little babies go play with shit. Oh, that's a little cat. They don't know what it is. And don't you think their parents say, hey, take that little motherfucker right back where you found it from. Go take it back because we're not going to get killed here tonight when the parents come looking for it. And, but at that time, before the white man came, you know, people lived in harmony with the animals. The animals knew how far to go, and people knew how far to go. Of course, little babies of each species didn't know how far to go, so they would mess with each other. But they didn't catch AIDS, and they weren't sleeping with each other. This came from the white savage. And that's what I want to get you people to understand. This is what they did to the Hawaiian people also, into the Samoans, into everywhere, like he said, to the, to, to the Aborigines, everywhere the white fucking devil has went. 
Disease, plague, chaos, and war follows. That's why they need to be taken off the planet. Seriously. And anybody that believes in them needs to go also. Them, their religions, take them out. And that goes for the Arabs, too, because a lot of them Arabs are white. I don't give a fuck about your, what you call yourself. You're an Arab? Fine, that's fine. If you're a black Arab, I'm going to say you're a black Arab. But the, basically, most of them, I see the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, and the whatever that is, the other place, they're white. They tried to make Egypt white, but Anwar Sadat told them the truth before he was assassinated. He said, these white people you see in the Egyptian government are not your ancestors. We are, and Anwar Sadat was my complexion. I didn't know that until I saw him on television in color. When they couldn't liven them up or whiten them up. He was my complexion. And he told the people, your ancestors were come from black folks like me. They were my color. The Egyptians, the original Egyptians and Cleopatra and all the motherfuckers were my color. Look at, oh, if you want to really know, look at the Ethiopians, Somalians, some of the Kenyans, look at the Eritreans. <coughs> look at all them folks. That's where they came from. And then the white man comes and paint everything with a white brush, as usual. But I just wanted to show you that so, so people get the idea. This is where stuff comes from, the lies. That, you know, these white devils have been experimenting with shit forever. And they do this. And they turn it loose in Africa first. Always happens. And that's why I'm glad a lot of people are waking up. Not enough, but a lot of waking up and kicking those... Well, a lot of countries are starting to wake up and kick them French out because the French put their laboratories in your countries and they were using you as the guinea pigs. Sir, you have to the as my wife said, they want to you rule the world because they don't even, they're the minority on the planet. You know, they are dying out. You know why they stop, they want to stop abortions in America? And this is what get me so fucked up too. You got a lot of these so-called Negroes and shit here in America. Oh, black women, they killing us all because black women getting abortions. Bullshit. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to holler bullshit. If they were getting abortions, you wouldn't have all these little wild motherfuckers running around out here in the streets. So let's cut that bullshit line right out. The reason they want to stop it, they want to make abortions illegal, is because their race is dying out. In Europe, the white race is dying. In America, the white race is dying. And the, the women that were having babies, they were getting abortions. So they are dying out. Don't you get it? The motherfuckers are dying out. They have no place on earth, like my wife said. <laughs> they, they don't belong here. She's from the Philippines, so she would know too. Her family suffered a bunch of these no good, dirty motherfuckers. You know, and and the Japanese too, but before them it was these dirty motherfuckers. America and France. But like I said, you know they love war. They love war. See, that's, but they won't the thing is that like I said, they dying off. And people gotta start realizing that. That's why they don't want they they making abortion illegal. Cause them motherfuckers ain't gonna be here by the end of this century, by the middle of this century. They're going to be the really the small minority. 
you know, just like you see them letting Cubans in, they let the white ones in. You see the people from South America, they let the white ones in. Because they're trying to strengthen up their white race. They're getting immigrants from the Ukraine and all over the fucking world. Let the white people in. It ain't going to make a difference. It ain't going to make a hill of beans. Because sooner or later, America is going to be crushed. It's going to be crushed from within because people here, black folks, I know have had enough. I know a lot of Negroes don't give a shit about them. But fortunately, it's more black folks than Negroes. And they've had enough. Everybody who's come here of color has found out how rotten this shit is. They've had enough. And you would you would think that, well, they all like this. Why do you think Britain, even though they got they have all this trouble now with race and shit, but you got more, you got Arab, Arabs or Middle Easterners, I'll say, and black folks and Asians all living in the same areas there. <laughs> Because they realized this centuries, a couple of centuries ago, these motherfuckers multiply, and we don't. <laughs> so we better get them on our side, as many as we can. Not this hateful ass shithole. But it ain't going to make a difference when the shit hits the fan. The white race will finally come to its end. Once and for all. It's, it's our fault, black people, that let them motherfuckers out the cage. We loose them upon the world. Now it's time to send them back to where they belong. But I just wanted to tell you, you know, show you that all these diseases that, and I'm quite sure a lot of you folks know, they come from them folks. And these every time you come with something, it's, it comes from them folks. And to make a long story short, basically, People of color, especially the ones in Africa, you will figure they got all kinds of shit. No, they don't. They basically immune to everything. You know, when they they come, we come from the dirt, we made from the earth, whatever. They're immune. Because what did they say when COVID nineteen came out? Oh, oh, Africa gonna really suffer. Didn't all the white countries suffered, including America? But all the countries were full of people of color, South America included, where you got a lot of people of color, they didn't suffer. The white motherfuckers did. Maybe this was God's way of getting back at these. If there's a God, or maybe that's simply like the Mother Earth decided that these goddamn bastards have to go. Or God, you know, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, I just left that little history lesson for you today. And excuse me a little my mismanners of cussing. I try not to, but I can't help it. So I'm leave with them words of wisdom. Wherever the white man at, expect shit to go south. And like I said, watch yourself, Africa. You know, do not let these motherfuckers get a toehold into your country. Look what they did to Libya, Iraq, and I'm going to tell you, you know who fucked over Libya? You know, Muammar had a friend in Uganda. Uh, that's a part of history, too. The Ugandan president, the one who turned on, uh, basically became a trick. The same one today, I guess. He turned on Muammar Gaddafi. <coughs> and then after he realized the fuck up, he wrote a letter to 
America and whatever. It was wrong for them to invade Iraq and Libya. Hey, motherfucker, it don't make a difference. What you did was wrong. You'll pay for it. Now, I'm not telling you folks in Uganda to go off killing motherfuckers. Don't do that. But check into it. If it's the truth, get rid of him. Because Gaddafi wanted a united Africa. Muzumbi, whatever his name is, I can't remember. He he tricked on so he, he, he turned his back on him and he, he was a spy for the a fucking Americans. Ain't that a bitch? But that's another story. And I don't even know if that's true. You have to check on that. Anyway, just watch him. Don't let these motherfuckers fool you. Do not let them back into your country. Young people, I'm telling you this. Across the world, young people that's black, if you see your leadership leaning toward inviting these no good bastards in, because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get in your country. And what they're going to do is have you fighting against your neighbor next door. They're going to destroy your goddamn economy, destroy your cities, destroy all the progress you made, and the white fucking savages are going to enslave you, basically, because you're going to be dependent on them forever. There'll be another plague that they're trying to figure out one that'll kill all these black people, but like I said, the world made us. So the world was prepared for anything these sons of bitches threw at us. That's why a lot of people in Africa don't have diseases like these until white people come around. Then all of a sudden, there's a big plague. You know, it wasn't even, drought wasn't even killing people like it is. But that happened because the honkies redirected water from places that naturally should go during a period of colonization. And they took over all the green parts of the goddamn continent and left the people out in the desert. And they took it. it but it's up to y'all to take it back and let nature take its course. Y'all have a nice day. Yeah. 31 minutes. Uh, let's see if we got another one. Yeah, you got another one. This one's uh, only two minutes. And then you got one 28 minutes. We're going to do the 28 minutes. This is one of the easiest they want to take black history out of schools. Like I said, 50 years ago, we went through this war with these savages to get black history established in the schools. It was a hell of a fight, too. It was a hell of a fight. A real one. But see, a lot of you young folks have taken it for granted. And it's probably, it's, a lot of you don't care now. I mean, look at the situation amongst a lot of black folks. Well, should I say the Negroes? You know, they still uh, worship the hood. So that means, obviously, they don't read anything about black history if they did, it would give them pride also. It would let them know that they can't let things be the same they were 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, or even yesterday. There's const It's a constant fight. But I'll let you hear it for yourselves. 115,505. Ithalia Howe was just 12 years old when she... Her sister and mother were forced to seek refuge in a cemetery as armed white supremacists terrorized Wilmington, North Carolina, in the fall of 1898. Separated from her father, 
they were unsure if he was still alive until days later when they reunited. Decades after the incident, Hal had a flashback to that time. She grabbed the wrist of her great-granddaughter, Cynthia Brown, and screamed, if it ever happens again, run. Don't let it happen to you. She had a very stark, distant look in her eyes, Brown told ABC News, remembering the encounter. I was very thrown. I didn't know what to make of it. After that, no one talked about it, no one explained it. It would be years before she finally learned from family members what her great-grandmother was referencing, the Wilmington coup of 1898, the only successful coup d'etat in American history. Nearly 125 years later, the wounds of the deadly campaign still run deep in the city, with many residents saying Wilmington never made amends for the tragedy. Residents and activists continue to work towards uncovering that history and finding redress for the descendants of Black residents impacted by the violence. The coup was spearheaded by Josephus Daniels, publisher of several influential newspapers in the state, and Fernifold Simmons, chairman of the state's Democratic Party, to overthrow the elected biracial government in Wilmington, according to historians. The plot, titled The White Supremacy Campaign, utilized propaganda, fiery speeches and intimidation by the Red Shirts, a militia group named for the red tunics they wore, to prevent black and white Republican voters from turning out for the 1898 state and federal elections, historians say. The plot succeeded and they effectively stole the election. But in Wilmington, several black politicians still held office and the coup leaders did not want to wait until the following year to vote them out. Two days later, on November 10th, 1898, a mob of nearly 2,000 white men torched the offices of Wilmington's only black newspaper, The Daily Record, and began indiscriminately shooting at black residents across the city. At least 200 people were killed in the violence, although historians say the true number is hard to pinpoint. White leaders later spun the violence as a race riot that the militia needed to control. In the following weeks, as many as 2,100 black residents abandoned the city, historians say. Amid the chaos, Alfred Waddell, a former Confederate general and one of the leaders of the campaign, forced the resignation of several local officials and installed himself as mayor of Wilmington. As a result of the violence, Jim Crow segregationist laws became entrenched in North Carolina and echoes of the event still manifest themselves over a century later. The black population, once boasting the majority in Wilmington, now only makes up 17% of the city, according to the latest census data from 2020. More, the new Jim Crow, Republicans and Democrats at odds over voting rights. What happened in Wilmington also became a model for other massacres like the one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921. The violence in Wilmington became an example to other locations of how to have a riot and get away with killing people in the street based on race, Larray Umfleet, a lead researcher for a 2006 state report on the coup, told ABC News. People from Atlanta spoke to people from Wilmington and asked them, how did you do this? How were you able to neutralize the black vote? How was it that there was so many people killed and no one was ever held accountable? Brown grew up in Wilmington during segregation, but said she had a romantic idea of the community around her. As she learned about the history of the coup, that sentiment turned into anger and frustration. 
There was a generational robbery of the values of understanding one's family tree, one's family legacy. I realized there were people who had a snip, if you will, Brown said. There was a disconnect for them because they had lost family history, family assets, and family members. Brown said she recalls going to the public library after school with a friend to try and learn more about what happened. The library refused to show them any records even though they were stored there, Brown said. She moved away for college, eager to leave the city behind, but returned to Wilmington after her mother suddenly passed away. It was then she says that she became more involved in community programs and working to preserve the history of the events of 1898. Laura Ginther, a member of the new Hanover County Community Remembrance Project, NHCCRP, a group working to memorialize the victims of the massacre, calls Wilmington a microcosm for every prejudice that can exist. <coughs> More, after a half-century of federal oversight, segregated neighborhoods are still pervasive, ABC News analysis. The students who go to the schools in the primarily black areas of the town, their scores on education are worse. Their access to healthcare is worse, there's no grocery store in the area, she said. The 2021 Cape Fear Inclusive Economy Report, a study that looks at the inclusivity of the economy in the Cape Fear region where Wilmington is located, found that 30% of black residents fall below the federal poverty line compared to 11.9% of white residents. It also found that the median white household income is a little more than double that of the median black income. Kim Cook, a professor of sociology and criminology at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and a restorative justice practitioner moved to the city in 2005 and said she was distressed by the palpable segregation. For a long time, she couldn't understand the division until she learned about the events of 1898. Now, she works with groups like NHCCRP and Coming to the Table, a national organization focused on healing the racial wounds of America's past. The wound hasn't healed, she said. I've been calling for a truth and reconciliation process in Wilmington for years that has fallen on deaf ears. More, meet entrepreneurs of color building Tulsa's former Black Wall Street into hot, new tech hub. As the 125th anniversary of the incident approaches, Wilmington residents are calling on the North Carolina legislature to hold true to the recommendations made in the 2006 report on the incident. The residents feel like nothing has been done beyond a grassroots level. Some of the recommendations were put into legislative proposals, but most died in committee. The North Carolina Democratic Party issued an apology in 2007, acknowledging the party's role in the coup and renouncing the past leaders. Meanwhile, organizations like Third Person Project have worked to preserve and digitize copies of the daily record. The group also works in conjunction with the Equal Justice Initiative and other advocates to find descendants of victims and those who fled Wilmington using genealogical data. Activists like Sonia Patrick are pushing for legislation to provide reparations for the descendants of those affected by the riot. She said change needs to be made to improve opportunities for Black residents of the city. When we don't take action and we don't try to change things, that's saying that we're satisfied with the massacre, we're satisfied with what happened, Patrick said. We should never be satisfied with that type of injustice. 115,505.
No, you heard that, right? That's exactly what happened. And she says the the riot that happened. There was no riot. There was a massacre. Same thing happened in Rosewood. Same thing happened in Tulsa. Same thing happened in all in towns out west and towns up north and towns down south. And you know, this is the same shit that they've done over and over. And then they sit here and they said, you black folks don't want shit. The goddamn devils, they burn it down, tear it down, destroy it any kind of way they can. And then they blame some outside force such or we did it to ourselves. This is why I tell you folks in Africa, do not let them goddamn savages in your countries anymore. If you do, you get what you deserve. Do not let a motherfucking white man put his foot down open shit. Tear it to the ground. I don't give a fuck if it's a billion dollar corporation. Tear it down to the fucking ground. Do not want them there. But then, like I said, this is what happens to a lot of places all over this country in this last century. And it's still prevailing still here now. You see these goddamn hunkies coming to people's houses and tear up their shit talking about we, we looking for something. Or, and they steal their money. Or they, they fuck up their shit. You know, they steal their work vehicles or their cars or whatever the hell they can steal. Anything that's wealthy, they take it from black people. And the only thing they say, you Negroes sit there and take it like damn chumps. You know, I don't understand it. You know, like she said, the healing. There is no fucking healing for this. There's, there is none. You know, there's no healing because they constantly keep showing you they don't want no healing they constantly do shit to us to make us not stay not to say forgive but to say let's kill you motherfuckers but they know you're not gonna do it they know the bulk of you're not gonna do shit but sit in your little hobbles and do what you do all the time kill each other shoot up your neighborhood instead of saying fuck this let's get rid of these niggas that's killing us so we can concentrate on killing all these hunkies and pay back some bitch but you don't do that you don't do any of that you sit there and you take anything that happened to you. But this is why they don't want you to know this history. Because somewhere out there is there's a group of young people that see this and they feel the same way I feel. Fuck all the talking. Let's do some killing. You know, and they don't want that to happen. They want you to sit here and go through all like I said, you go through the bullshit court system. Again, that gets us nothing. The same old fucking rhetoric that you hear all the time. We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss. We don't need to discuss this shit. This happened too often. And nobody goes to prison for it. Nobody goes to jail. People are killed. They sat there and massacred these people. And the fucking, this fucking government did nothing. And then you stupid bastards, you same stupid bastards, generational people from these same no good motherfuckers will pick up a gun and go to another country talking about defending freedom and democracy but these same cracker motherfuckers that killed your ancestors. And when you say something to you stupid bastards, you tell me about what we doing to go to school. We, Nigga, please. Don't tell me that bullshit about you doing to go to college. You doing it because your lazy motherfucking ass don't want to do nothing else and you so used to your mammy feeding you. So now you go and they live off the government and it looks righteous because you're in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. But you're not doing nothing but getting free room and board and doing shit for it. Most of the time. Until they go start some goddamn war. Then you got to pay your debt. But you're a fool to go there in the first place. You should be turning them goddamn guns on these motherfuckers. They deserve it. But y'all won't. 
See, as I said, that's why I hate to talk about this type of stuff because it gets me upset. Too upset. Now I fuck around and have a heart attack doing this, you know, but this is why they don't want you to learn the history. And what did you do down there in Florida? Y'all down there carrying signs and marching. We need our black history. See, this is, you still doing the same mindless, dumbass, drone shit because you're afraid. You're fucking cowards. There's no way a motherfucker gonna tell you that you you can't have any of your history in school, but we can give you all our history. And you sons of bitches sit down there and take it. Every fucking school should be on fire and the fucking capital should be on fire, but you won't. You know why? Because you scared Mr. Charlie gonna shoot at you. But you don't mind your own shooting at you. If you can take them niggas running up and down your neighborhood shooting at you, you sure the fuck can take Mr. Charlie shooting at you. And it's for a better cause. Because then you can shoot back and try to kill every motherfucking one of them. But you won't. Like I said, you're the same cow-ass people that happened here in Wilmington. Like she said, her grandma. These things happened. And the first thing the older people back then don't talk about it. Like the fuck is going to go away? They, they, they had them motherfuckers as cowards. Like I said, they had my parents as cowards and my grandparents. But I was a goddamn laugh. I was going to be a coward. I ran, I told my folks I'd rather die than to take the shit y'all took. And I went out there and tried to kill as many of them motherfuckers as I could, but I couldn't do it. Why? I missed. <laughs> shit. <clears throat> but see... That's what they did back then. Let's not talk about it. It's going to go away. Or they get, they hear their motherfucking head in the Bible. Jesus going to fix it or run their stupid ass to church on Sunday. Jesus going to fix it and take your ass back to your poor ass fucking built, burnt down shack and have nothing and go back to Mr. Charlie and beg him for shit. That's what they did. And like I said, the other people left Wilmington. They left. A lot of people left. Because they were the majority, basically. They were building a nice little mecca for black folks. And them honkies can't have that. You see, this is what happened with everywhere the black people established a township. They outdid the white motherfuckers by a score of 10 to 1. They outdid them with their own shit. And the first thing these honkies did was come and destroy it. And the first thing Negroes did back then, which you're doing now, you ran in the motherfucking house. You wouldn't shoot them. You wouldn't kill them. But you kill your own. Just like they did back then, probably. You know, if you say something to one of them today, they'll blow your face off. But you say, hey, them pigs, oh, they're stomping your goddamn mama in the ground. Well, I'm going to go get a camera and film it. You're going to get some money. That's the ignorance of these motherfuckers. That's why I don't feel too much for them. Because, like I said now, it's up to black people. You let this shit go down in Florida, what they're doing. This is the same thing they're trying to push in a bunch of other states now. They're looking to see how it lasts in Florida. If it works in Florida, they're going to push it across a whole bunch of states. They're going to take out black history. And all you niggas going to do is poke your lips out and march. But that ain't going to help your children learn about black history. Like I said, if, if you can't do it because you don't have the numbers, take your kids out to schools. That's all. Tell your children we going on motherfucking strike for the schools. 
Now, if you think that won't hurt them fuckers, I'll tell you it will, because they get so much money per day from the federal government to match for each student. The federal government pays money to each school, all the school systems across this country. The federal government pays. Now, if that's no student there, if that student is absent, they don't get money for that day. If that's to, if there's no students coming, then they don't get no money. And their revenue is gone. And you and a lot of you can do that. And like I said, if you want to, if you're gonna get your ass together and go out here and buy weaves and put on your motherfucking head and buy some new gym shoes or however you get it, well you it's like this, even if you don't buy them, if you can put your mind together and go out here and steal that shit or whatever the fuck out you get it, you survive. Then you can build a school. Now, let's put it like this. If you can do all that, and I've seen black folks do shit that's well, Negroes, Negroes do shit that, like, it amazes me. You know, how did you do that? But you won't put that to good use. You'd rather put it to some nefarious, nefarious ass situation, nefarious deeds, you know, whatever. But, you know, I'm becoming a misanthrope myself. Period. That's what I am. I'm becoming a misanthrope, especially when it comes to white motherfuckers. If you don't know what I mean, look it up. But as I said, folks, it's up to y'all. If you let them take away our history, then there's nothing else but to live, live off everything they do. Because this is what they're going to do. The white savage has made himself king shit. Their fucking white God is no good for us. Their fucking white ass Bible is no good for us. If you tell a nigga to put that shit down because it ain't no goddamn good, they'll damn near die. They believe that bullshit so much, they'll damn near die. Oh, you going to hell because you said some shit about that Bible and that Koran has been done more damage to black people on this motherfucker than anybody else. All right. And you still keep picking it up. Well, you call yourself, I'm a Muslim. Man, fuck that too. Them motherfuckers over there right now enslaved motherfucking Africans. Enslaving them. And the other parts of Africa, they still in there pulling their shit together, which I hope they do in the next 20 years. And start telling them motherfucking savages in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and whatever the rest of the places are. Then we gonna start killing you, motherfuckers. If you try, if our people come there to work and you treat them like this, but what are they doing? What what we got again? Coward ass motherfucking nigga men, cowards. Getting on the internet talking about we looking for such and such, and these guys did it wrong. Take your black ass over in the country and kill the motherfuckers if you can't find your family member. What are you afraid of? You know, what the fuck are black people afraid of? Black men, especially. You're, you're useless. But what can I say? Like I said, I'm getting upset, so I hate to get back there. But so, but this is the reason why they want to take black history out. You know, because it ain't, it ain't going to heal itself either. This ain't going to heal. This Delhi 1898. And, it, and the other country, you heard what she said once by there. The other states asked, her how, asked, us, asked them, how did they do that? 
You know, how did y'all do that? And they told them how to do it. Just kill the niggas. They're not going to fight back. And that's what they did. These motherfuckers are still alive. They, they, they have the offspring alive today. Or the great grandchildren. And what do you, and what do we do? We put up signs, remember and all that shit. Remember and don't do nothing for your pocket. You know, these folks, their ancestors own shit. The same way they've always done. They take it, claim it, and, and the Negroes don't have nothing again. Start all over. But like I said, this if you fools take this this century, then God help no, God can't help a fool because a fool don't need help. God don't like fools. You heard that part in the Bible. God takes care of fools and little children. No, he don't. Because he took care of little kids, they won't get their ass blown away, innocent little two-year-old, three-year-old kids, or mistreated by parents and you know, all whatever. So they ain't, ain't nobody taking care of a fool. A fool is somebody let somebody keep running over them don't, the same way over and over, and they don't do shit about it. Then you're the biggest fool in the world. But, like I said, I'm not going to get into that religious tip. It's up to you folks. This is what they want to do. And, you know, like, like she said, her grandmother had flashbacks. There's people still traumatized. Well, she's probably dead now. They were traumatized, you know, and nothing was done. This fucking government did nothing, and it ain't going to do nothing, and they don't give a fucking, because they know y'all ain't going to do shit. And let me leave you this final word. And, and this is for these people talking about reparation shit. And I, I agree with you that, that people should be compensating black folks. But let me put it to you like this. You ain't getting a goddamn dime. You know why? Because you don't have anything you can do to these motherfuckers. They know you're afraid to pick up a good one of in insignificant numbers. They know a lot of people ain't. Because that's how our brother finally put together yesterday on one of these sites, TikTok. He said, these motherfuckers know who the fuck was. That's the truth. I've said that many a day. These motherfucking white devils, they know who the fuck was. They, I'm serious. They know to fuck with you niggas in the ghettos and certain areas because they know you ain't going to do a fucking thing. And then other areas, they're not going to fuck with the black folks because they know them motherfuckers will come out and kill them. They don't give a fuck. They don't, They went through too much. A lot of us went through too much to get to where we got. Did you think I'm going to let you fuck me over? And I've been through this, down this road before with your ass. This time I'm going to kill your ass. They know that. So they know where to go to fuck over the niggas. And the niggas take Because y'all love to complain. <laughs> but like I said, this is what happens so many places in this country. And it don't matter. Unless y'all going to get up in mass and fight back and quit running to somewhere else like it's going to help you, it ain't going to change. It's going to always be the fucking same when it comes to us. Always the fucking same thing. We gonna give you some reparations. Like I said, let me finish this off on this note. The Japanese got reparations for the internment when they were interned during World War II. The ones that were Japanese Americans, they put them in concentration camps. They called them army camps. They were concentration camps. If they went out that camp, they got shot. 
They were, that's what they did. They even gave the American Indians something. You know, after they wiped out 30 million people, that's what they said, estimated. I don't know if it was 30 million or not. That seems kind of high number. But it was quite a few, maybe three or four million across this country. You know, I don't know. They gave them reparations. They gave the motherfucking Jews in Germany reparations. Now, how did I figure? America didn't, didn't put them people in camps and execute them at will and experimental on them. America didn't do that. But not these white savages, at least. But they gave them money. The only motherfuckers they gave them money to is us. And every time you bring it up, they tell you we got to talk about it. We got to put this bill. Just like she said, they put a bill down there before and it never even made it to committee, which I know a lot of y'all don't know because they don't teach y'all shit, civics in school. Committee, they first you propose a bill, then it goes to the committee. Them people decide, well, should we take it further? They 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 tweak it a little bit, then they send it to the Congress or of that state or whatever, you know, House representation, whatever. And it keeps going up the ladder till it gets to the head of that state or whatever. In this case, in that state. And they, that state, being the governor, they they approve it or they veto it. But it all starts off with somebody's idea. But these, like she said, they didn't even make it to a committee. Whoever wrote it down and stuff proposed this, the rest of the motherfuckers who run in the place didn't want to hear it. They said, fuck it. And that's what they did. Fuck it. And since there's not enough people down there to make a difference, or they're too scared to jump up and fight, whatever. And they know that across this country. Until, you know, some of these Negroes decide they got some some courage and just start going on a goddamn killing spree like they've done to us so many times, ain't nothing going to ever change. You know? But what can I tell you? So that's your thing, Lonnie. If you think you're going to get reparations, keep thinking that. I bet you if I could come back here 500 years, if this goddamn country still exists, which I hope it don't, or I can say, let's say uh, uh, 70 or 80 years, I ain't going to go that far. 70 or 80, I bet you I'd come back the same goddamn shit, reparations. <laughs> and every motherfucker, and all the Hispanics would be running everything then. And the niggas are still being the same goddamn predicament. Talking about reparations. I don't mean to call you niggas, but that's what you're going to be if you take this shit and keep taking it. Because the niggas are cowards. Non-intelligent, ghetto gangster, and savages. That's what niggas are. Non-intelligent. Ghetto. Get it? I know a lot of y'all don't like the way I say things sometimes. And, yeah, I go a little bit overboard for it. But that's just me. I mean, sometimes the way you have to get a point across is the way you feel. And still, you know, filibustering and uh, going, you know, trying to figure out how to appease people. When people hear this every day, you know, they hear the words.
Well, I mean, you can't say you didn't because unless you were living in a bubble. But, you know, I know some people get offended, and I'm sorry if I did. But as I say, I this is the only way I know how to get it across. And this is the way I'm going to be. But just in case you can't take it, this song is for you. If you don't like what I say or do, pretty please for your sake and mine, unfollow me. you feel some type of way if low-key you're just here to hate don't be in my comments right no essay not tomorrow I'm gonna do it today Multiple accounts of infrastructural sabotage. Events taking place all across our country. Things like sabotaging the power grid, trail uh, uh, rail tracks. Also, with yesterday's mass casualty event in Ohio at the uh, metalwork plant, there is a bigger picture at play right now. I want to welcome each and every one of you to the news that you need to know, brought to you every day here on YouTube from Full Spectrum Survival. Headlines from America and from around the world. The things that allow you to make good and actionable decisions for you and your family. Vanguard Group is warning that they have alerted all of their clients, as well as their economists, that a record number of people at this moment in time are withdrawing from their 401k accounts. They are doing this not to try and make better movements in the market, but just to make ends meet. There is a joke going around from economists around our world that say 2023 is the year of the millionaire. That is to say people with nil, nothing, no money left. The earth is changing. That much we can all be sure of. 
striking drone footage shows deep cracks in the road in the areas in the uh, quake hit regions of Turkey, which is continuing to suffer with multiple aftershocks. The people there are getting no relief. If you and your family don't already have a natural disaster kit, I implore you to please get one ready. It's much like a go kit, a get ready bag, something that you can put in your car and run. It needs to be in addition to a longer term kit and something that will provide you and your family maybe just even 24 or 72 hours worth of shelter and food, as well as your ability to access water. You can keep it in your vehicle, you can keep it by the door, just please get one ready. NATO is warning that it is going to increase its targets for stockpiling ammunition. This is as Ukraine is seen burning through shells and ammunition much faster than Western countries are able to produce them. This is after a year of conflict between Russia and Ukraine leaves us on the very edge of World War III. NATO's Secretary General has said the current rate of Ukraine's ammunition expenditure it's many times higher than our current rate of production. He's telling reporters ahead of a multi-day meeting that the Western world needs to get ready. NATO planned to increase its targets for munitions stockpiles, adding that the Alliance has already completed a survey of their own remaining stocks. And you, like the people here on our, in our community, are already beginning to see the signs that they are getting ready for World War III. It's not going to be a war between just America and another country or just NATO and a, uh, a group of nations. It's going to be a war that every country in the world has to take part of or suffer through in one form or another. Outlets that are out there citing NATO sources report that the alliance is expected to raise its stockpiling targets even higher. The West, they say, needs to ramp up the production and the waiting time for large caliber ammunition is increasing. We're looking at 28 months. So here we are, over two years for them to replenish what they've already given to Ukraine. And China is going to take advantage of this as they move on Taiwan. Even before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, NATO countries were beginning to fall short of meeting stockpiling targets that were agreed upon by the alliance. Officials have considered wars of attrition with large-scale uh, large artillery battles a thing of the past. They thought that because America, seen as the policing force of the world, was able to go into regions and basically overwhelm a country and a government, that this was just a new age and era of war. What they're seeing instead is that when you have a Western-backed alliance versus a increasingly dangerous country, Russia, China, in some ways North Korea and Iran, then you have a sort of stalemate. Things get thrown back into trench warfare. The pace of what we're seeing in Ukraine is showing that we are getting uh, ready to go through 10,000 shells per day. This has drained NATO's inventories. It has plunged holes deep in the efficiency, the speed, and the manpower of supply chains to replenish what they are losing. A European diplomat is telling Reuters that if Europe fights Russia, countries are going to run out of ammunition in mere days. Stoltenberg has said that higher munition supplies are essential. 
These, he says, are essential to ensuring that the alliance is able to keep supporting Ukraine while getting ready to protect every inch of NATO territory. One year since the invasion, Putin is not preparing for peace, Stoltenberg says. He's launching new offensives. It's clear that we're in a race of logistics. Key capabilities like ammunition, spare parts, fuel, other items that need to reach Ukraine before Russia is able to seize initiatives on the battlefield they want. Speed will save lives. Asked whether uh, NATO sees Russia's latest movements in Ukraine as the start of a major offensive that originally experts had been saying wouldn't start until the spring, Stoltenberg, NATO in the West, says that it's already beginning. What we are seeing is President Putin sending thousands and thousands of troops, accepting a very high rate of casualty, he notes, taking big losses but putting pressure on Ukraine and European allies. What Russia lacks, they say, is quality. Then they try to compensate for it in quantity. It's a lot of Western uh, propaganda, I would say. They're really trying to say that Russia has no chance in winning this battle. But the fact of the matter is, you have a nuclear weaponized country here who has said that even their stakes in Crimea, outside of Russian mapped territorial integrity, if it is attacked, they will go to nukes. You're not going to see Russia lose this. You might see a multi-year, multi-decade even conflict, not just between Russia and Ukraine, but between the entire world. At the end of the day, you're going to see so much bloodshed on the battlefield, so many lives left in ruin that people will just say, I am done. That's all they're going to gain, but you are going to see politicians gain in power, corporations gain in economic influence as they do this. When the defense ministers to NATO have met in Brussels, they're kicking off a discussion on adapting the alliance's target to spend 2% of their GDP on defenses. A lot of people are saying that is minimal. Allies see, that, uh, see this as a low target. They say the war raging on in Europe is proof that every country in NATO territory must be ready to go to war and go to fight with Russia. A decision is expected in July on how much of their defense spending will be increased. These meetings are being preceded by gatherings of, Ramstein, of the Ramstein Group. That's dozens of countries that are providing arms to Ukraine. NATO defense ministers are joining Ukrainian counterparts, and we are expected to see the next stage of this conflict become a little bit more visible in the next uh, couple of weeks. Now, this was missed on many news outlets, but it has wartime significance. The deputy head of the Chechen Republic was poisoned in the last two weeks when he opened up an envelope that contained a so far undiagnosed or unreleased hazardous substance. That's the Chechen Republic head, Katerov. The deputy head, who was also the commander of the Akhmat Special Forces and the deputy commander of the 2nd Army Corps, is going to recover. They say it's not necessarily life-threatening, but it has taken years off of his life. He received an envelope from an aide. After opening it, he understood from a caustic smell that he was exposed to a hazardous chemical. He quickly washed his hands, his nasal cavities, and he received immediate treatment from medical specialists. Now, the Russian Foreign Ministry and the Intelligence Service said that the U.S. military is recruiting Islamic State and Al-Qaeda terrorists to commit attacks like this. Russia's news agency has said that 
these attacks are being trained by the American bases in Syria. In the near future, they warn it is planned, that is, terrorist organizations, to carry out the transfer of militants as part of small groups to the territory of Russia and the Commonwealth of Independent States. They will be tasked, according to Russia, with preparing and carrying out such attacks against diplomats, against civil servants, against law enforcement officers, and against the personnel of the armed forces. Russia says that Washington is obsessed with the idea of slowly bleeding Russia. Strategists consider it acceptable to directly use these uh, sort of tactics for dirtier purposes. Actions like this put Washington on par, they warn, with large and so far unspeakable groups. After the Moldovan president held a speech in dire warning to the country, a warning that says Russia is in the acting phase of a coup in Moldova, complete with attacks on government building, uh, buildings, hostage taking by men with military training working under the guise of opposition protesters, strategists now say that this is the kind of information that is being delivered directly to many European-Ukrainian bordering countries. If it is true, these military strategists warn, we are seeing the acknowledgement phase of a larger European war footing from Russia. But if it is false, we are seeing a pretense to military action against Russia from NATO. The NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg has confirmed that NATO is discussing new ways of strengthening the defenses of Moldova at their meeting uh, and they are going to begin to implement these soon. So let's get back to that main headline story. We have yesterday's maybe attack, possible sabotage at a metalwork plant in Ohio. This is after the deadly chemical release of vinyl chloride in Ohio has been quickly covered up by both uh, media outlets and politicians. The very same group that stands to lose from this chemical release, the one that was transporting these deadly chemicals, they are the ones who have been tasked with testing the water in private laboratories that do not stand up to par, according to the reports that we are seeing, with international and even nationwide uh, requirements. So here you have a corporation who caused a chemical accident saying your water is safe to drink. You can bet your last bullet that if I was near this region in Ohio, I'd be taking my family and leaving. A lot of people in the comments have said, Brad, you just have to trust the government here. Let me tell you that that is wholeheartedly and not maybe not the best opinion to have. The reason I say that with such a uh, guised, I guess, indifference is because we live in an era where they would rather say they're sorry, then ask for permission to do the right thing. We have government bodies who will change things like your acceptable levels of radiation exposure, but they'll only do this after they have already allowed a radiation exposure event to take place. These very same individuals who say that it is deadly dangerous for you to have a natural gas stove in your home are saying that the release of vinyl chloride into the atmosphere, which created a poisonous cloud that killed cows and it killed chickens and it, it killed fish and it got into the waterways and it crossed states, that is somehow okay. 
but you having a wood stove in your home, that's preposterous. That's disease-ridden. You can't do that. You're basically abusing your children if you do that. Oh, you want a natural stove in your home? Natural gas? Sorry. That's not only against the earth, it's bad for your health. So we're going to make regulations that say that's not possible. They say that cows release too much methane, and so cows shouldn't be had on our earth from a farming perspective. But the release of these dangerous chemicals into the environment, well, that's a-okay. It's along the same lines of saying that we need more Teslas on the street. But the fact of the matter is, for one Tesla that burns up, it takes something like 10 to 16 hours for the firefighters to put it out, releasing just inhuman amounts of disease-causing poison into the atmosphere. There's nothing more at play here than a gain for control and a gain for economic well-being. Not yours, but those of the corporations and the politicians in power. I hope that these headlines from around the world, the things that are happening, maybe even just in our own nations, are as important to you as they are to me. I hope that they help you to make good and actionable decisions for your family, allow you to really see what's going on and say, you know what, maybe I should get a little bit more food. Maybe I should take my own self-defense a little bit more seriously. Because there is an invisible red line, and once it's crossed, there's no going back. But there is time right now to get ready, and I have people on every broadcast say, Brad, why don't you ever talk about the good news? Well, there's prep tips in every video, a great community here, and you have time today to do something to get ready. So let's all get off of our collective wide ends, and let's get ready, because times are changing quickly. From my family to yours, please check back with us here tomorrow. Go over to YouTube.com, search Full Spectrum Survival, subscribe to us there if you're watching us somewhere else, and we'll see you for more information. Stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you, all of our members on Patreon. Make sure that you check out ContingencyMedical.com. This is the moment of truth. Rihanna's halftime show was allegedly among the most watched halftime shows in the history of the Super Bowl. In fact, it was the second most watched halftime show ever. Time Magazine was saying that it's estimated more people watched Rihanna belt out a few tunes than watched the game itself. And why exactly was that? Well, because this was where she chose to reveal that she's pregnant. Again, and who's the baby daddy? Well, this is the black media. We don't care about pop culture or gossip around here. We recognize that entertainment is nothing more than a snare that the white media uses, so we don't care about things like that. Though Rihanna's sideshow is worth talking about because of how the white media has chosen to cover it and how they use it. She's sure come a long way since her days of brawling with Chris Brown, who, by the way, has more talent than Rihanna, but because of her, he's had his career irreparably damaged. You're not going to be seeing him doing these Super Bowl halftime shows anytime soon. There was also what amounts to a muted outrage about what Rihanna did during her show. She started off her performance with the song, Be Better Have My Money, except she used the word self, though I think it was edited. However, those old white men who run the NFL, they didn't have any money for her. And she still showed up and put on a show anyway. You see, Rihanna didn't get paid for her performance. Ain't that something? But in all fairness, she's not alone. Apparently, that's the NFL's policy. The NFL doesn't pay the halftime performers who come to the Super Bowl. They don't have to pay them. They give them a flat budget that's supposed to be used to pay their dancers and stage and all that. But the performers themselves, like Rihanna, they don't get anything from the NFL for coming to perform at the Super Bowl.
Apparently, you do it for the exposure, because the Super Bowl is the biggest stage in American sports, and whoever performs at the Super Bowl sees a huge spike in their album sales afterwards. Rihanna's own music streams are estimated to have surged at least 640% since her halftime show, and in fact, her sales surge began months ago, back in September, when it was first announced that she was going to be doing the halftime show. So when Rihanna's rapping about who better have her money, she wasn't talking about the old white guys who run the NFL. She was talking about you, whoever you are downloading her streams, you better have her money. But of course, the halftime highlights didn't stop there. Rihanna also grabbed her crotch during her performance, and then she followed that up by sniffing her hand or licking yeah. her fingers or some other vulgar gesture. What? I'm sure yeah. there will be those yeah, telling us that she was doing a little fantasy. But all I care about yeah, is nothing her show had anything to do with life and power. I find it interesting how the white media has not made that the headline when covering Rihanna's halftime show. Oh, sure, some of them did mention it, but we're not seeing heads explode over that. Nobody clutching their pearls or faking or obsessing or anything like that. By the way, did I mention that more people watch Rihanna's halftime show than watch the game? Did I mention it's the second most watched Super Bowl halftime show ever? So you have a pregnant woman from the world who does a show that begins with expletives and then grabs her crotch among other things, and the white media treats it as merely a naughty non-event. Now, I'm not saying that I want anyone to make a big deal over it, because I don't, but I do think we all remember how in 2004, Janet Jackson had her legendary wardrobe malfunction at the Super Bowl, and there was the predictable phony outrage, as if the most pornified culture on earth is shocked and appalled that there was a brief glimpse of a naked memory. I mean, whoever would have thought? And when the idiocy of that preposterous false indignation was exposed, pun intended, the talking point shifted to, well, there were children watching. But nobody was taking Justin Timberlake to the woodshed. He offered a half-hearted apology and made Janet the scapegoat for his actions, and then the white media allowed him to saunter off and be given a pass and let it fall down the memory hole. But then again, when you have the complexion yep. for the protection, Janet was made the bad guy, and for what? So here we are 20 years later, and Rihanna does an NFL show with expletives and grabs her crotch, and it's ignored largely because the white media picks and chooses what they want to get outraged about. Suddenly, the white media and the pearl clutchers in the dominant society completely forgot that kids watch the Super Bowl halftime show. And if you actually think that every song, word, and gesture that Rihanna did during that halftime show wasn't already cleared with the NFL, then you're a fool. All the money they've got sunk into the biggest marketing extravaganza of the year, they knew precisely everything she was going to do well in advance. So what you saw from her was a sanctioned act. And just to add some context, consider this. Just two years after Janet's wardrobe malfunction, the white media was whining about how boring award shows had become, like MTV's VMAs. When it came time to talk about exactly who was boring and why, they decided to single out the black performers, in particular 50 Cent. Now, this was yeah. back before he was a big TV producer, when the only thing he was making was albums and feuds with Ja Rule. Now, in this article in particular, which was printed on CBS's website, the byline mentions the Aryan propagandist, or I mean, Associated Press, who most of the white media merely copies and pastes their reporting. But CBS decided to run this one, and CBS, you'll recall, was being run by Les Moonves at the time. The same Les Moonves who led the charge to destroy Janet Jackson's career after her wardrobe malfunction, and 
And now the same less move as the CBS was whining that the VMAs were too tame. And who are they blaming for not livening things up? 50 Cent, who along with LL Cool J, CBS was describing as being the night's hottest couple. Of course, the white media was going to have the emasculating crap thrown in there, and they followed that little missive up with 50, perhaps with no more foes to beef with, was almost zen-like on stage and offered no fun disses to excite the crowd. 50 cents zen-like demeanor at the VMAs. So unless you're a black man who's out there just acting like a total fool, white media's like, oh, he was practically zen-like. What the hell does that mean? He was standing there acting like an adult, like a professional entertainer at an awards ceremony. But for the white media, unless black folks are fighting with other black people, then we're doing something wrong. We exist solely to keep them amused. And where black people are concerned, that means we better be acting like pure stereotypes of some sort or another. I mean, look at what these scumbags wrote. 50 Cent didn't offer any fun disses to excite the crowd. And who are the disses supposed to be about? Why his foes that he was beefing with? Talk about saying the quiet part out loud. You know, I don't remember the public complaining that 50 Cent wasn't dissing anybody. The only people who were complaining was the white media. Perhaps 50 Cent should have been dissing CBS and the Associated Press. The disses that Les Moon as a CBS was clamoring for often wind up ending with a violent incident, which of course the white media would gladly cover and pretend as if they had nothing to do with it. Black people need to understand that. When black people are not fighting with each other, the white media will come along and try to see if they can instigate something. This is what the white media does. They use their massive platform to try to shape reality by telling the whole world that why, if so-and-so isn't doing this, then they're doing something wrong. If black people aren't beefing with each other, if we're not dissing each other for the excitement of a white crowd, then we're doing something wrong. Of course, what goes unsaid is that the white media is making it clear if black entertainers refuse to act like plantation fools, if we refuse to fight and publicly insult each other for their sick amusement, then they'll consider black entertainers to be boring, old news, or just not relevant. They'll put some sort of label on you, and it won't be a flattering one. That's what the subtext here is for all these black entertainers. If you want the white media to consider you to be relevant, then you better go start a fight with another black person. The white media discourages behavior they don't like by attacking it openly. And they incentivize behavior they want to see by giving big attention to the fools who are willing to do it. Like Billy Porter or Lizzo. I guess the showing over to the fat lady stops trending. As much attention boring as Lizzo does, she ought to be Ron DeSantis' running mate. She literally showed her behind to the world, and when black folks called her out on this buffoonery, it was the white media who came running to her rescue, openly defending her and telling black folks, y'all just are too sensitive. It was just good, clean fun. And she did that at an NBA game in front of the entire world. But just as with Rihanna, nobody from the white media is complaining that kids watch NBA games. Nobody in the white media was outraged. The president of the Staples Center said that Lizzo would not be banned from their facility either. Because this was something white power wanted to see. It was like the movie Precious, an absurdly obese black woman degrading herself publicly. And these white supremacists eat that stuff up. They put out the usual phony body positivity crap. That's just sprinkling sugar on garbage. 
They only do that with black women, by the way. The white media doesn't use their airwaves or their print or their online websites to encourage white women to be disgustingly overweight or to make white women the face of morbid obesity. Seems practically every ad you see featuring a black woman these days always has to be one who's obese. That's white media programming. The only black women who are allowed to be in front of the camera are ones the white power can laugh at. And just to make sure that people knew that this act by Lizzo was what white power wanted, just last year, at the same time Rihanna was being announced as the Super Bowl halftime show performer, so white folks from the Library of Congress, no less, were publicly inviting Lizzo to come to D.C. to play a flute that once belonged to James Madison. It was a librarian at the Library of Congress, a white woman, who invited Lizzo to come there. So, Joe Biden's black female voter outreach program is still on. No reparations. Ice Cube hasn't been invited to the White House yet to discuss a black agenda, but Biden's administration did make time for the Library of Congress to invite Lizzo to come check out their flute collection. I guess they figured Get Your Booty to the Polls still had some mileage left in it. And Lizzo, of course, was only too happy to be invited to check out the U.S. government's flute collection. She was so happy to be able to play James Madison's flute. I guess nobody ever told her that James Madison was a slave owner. He owned at least three dozen black people, one of whom could easily have been one of Lizzo's ancestors, though given her degenerate mentality, she probably considered that flattering. Given how much of this so so black media, I think we can all guess what goes through her mind when she was sucking on that flute. Of course, another bad behavior, you had Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. And regardless of how you feel about that, I've made my feelings about it known in a video that you two decided to censor, possibly at Will Smith's behest. There's a time and place to do things, and Will Smith did the wrong thing at the wrong time. But the white media doesn't care. Black people get attention for doing bad things or for being conspicuous for not doing bad things. This is white media conditioning. We shouldn't yeah, really put on a fake. show for white powers and amusement. That's the point of this morning's briefing. As black people, we're supposed to know better than that, and we do. But for a lot of us, we don't care. We know the game that white power wants us to play, so we play along. As black people, we have contributed practically every worthwhile and honorable thing to this racist society, against the society's will, of course. And we have been denied our due and under constant attack. For too many of us, the chance to become part of this society's BS parade is simply too great. Black people know the rules of racism. We have to as long as we've been under it. White power feels threatened when they don't see black people amusing them or trying to make them smile or fighting each other for their amusement, for their entertainment. We know what they want to see and that they'll ignore us if we refuse to do that. And for the bootlegs in the white media, that's a fate worse than death. As the Lizzo's and others see it, they found a way to monetize being a bootlicking clown. It's the only skill set they've got, so they got to go all in. But look, Rihanna knew that her sideshow was sanctioned, the same way Lizzo knew that her public vulgarity would also be celebrated and defended by the white media. We don't have the luxury of reducing ourselves to being nothing more than grist for the white media mill. They have conditioned us to think that our purpose in life is to be their entertainment. The white media will demonize black people for anything at all, then gladly reward black folks with attention for bad behavior, and then chide us when we go in public and act like we got some sense. I have no problem with Rihanna performing pregnant. That's fine. 
But my problem is rather than Rihanna show the dignity of motherhood, or at least show that she no longer has the mentality of a stupid 13 year old desperate for attention, instead she decides to put on a vulgar display because she is a proud member of the white media's cult of fame. Anything to get a headline, anything to be praised by the white media. Because that's how people like her gauge their relevance. And since their careers are based on whether the white media talks about them, they know what they have to do if they want the white media to preserve their careers a little longer. But as black people, we can't afford to play along with this game. I never thought I'd say this, but we need black people to be more like 50 Cent in this regard. 50 was already back then trying to get away from that stupidity the white media wanted. He wanted to go into movies and television. And he has, and he's been wildly successful at it. That's why he's not out there wearing a dress like Billy Porter or showing his behind like Lizzo or grabbing his crotch while singing about bees who better have his money. That's the point, family. When the halftime show gets more viewers than the actual sporting event itself, that's how you know that some major league white media social engineering is underway. Using their media to openly demand we do things harmful to us is not okay. And when the white media tries it, we have to be the ones to declare that it's game over for things like that. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Tom Moses, Damian Bryson, Sandra Bates, Richard Allen Lavelle, and Sabrina. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you are not given the right to be boys. Black boys are not given the right to be boys. White supremacy views all black males as grown men. They will be treated like grown men. They will be prosecuted like grown men. It is important for black parents to understand all black males, be they 5, 15, 30, 50, all black males are treated as men. Black boys are not allowed to be children in this country. This applies for South Africa. This applies for all of Europe. This applies to Canada, Australia, all of us who live in a predominant European society. Black boys are not allowed to be children. Understand, I'm bringing this up because we are seeing, we are seeing record numbers of black boys being suspended and expelled from school. I want to focus on the expulsion. I want to focus on the expulsion. I want to focus on the expulsions. Black boys are being expelled for making threats on school property, threats to teachers and staff, threats to fellow students. Your son cannot afford to do that. We contribute to this expulsion crisis against black boys because we do not teach our sons discipline. We do not teach our sons discipline. We do not teach our sons discipline. So we contribute to the expulsion crisis 
against black boys because our sons go to school. Our sons go to school. Our sons go to school and they expect to get away with the same offenses that they commit in the household. Let me say that again. The black household is supposed to be a training ground where the black boy learns to survive white supremacy. The black household is supposed to be a training ground where the black boy learns to survive white supremacy. But because of the absence of fathers and because of the poor availability of black men in the black community, let's just be honest, most black men have abandoned the black community. Let's just be honest. Most black men have abandoned the black community. So there's no one there to teach black boys the critical importance of self-discipline, self-control, and self-mastery. No one teaches them that. He does what he wants with his mother. He does what he wants with his grandmother. He does what he wants with his auntie. He does what he wants with his sister. And then he gets in school. And the first time he messes up, white folks put the lynch, the lynch rope around his neck. He does what he wants with his mother. He does what he wants with his grandmother. He does what he wants with his auntie. He does what he wants with his sister. He gets away with everything he does. And then he goes to school. And the first time he does something wrong, snow bunnies will lynch his ass. They will lynch his ass on the first offense. So I'm telling every black parent in America, you better start teaching your son to control his mouth, control <coughs> his behavior, control his emotions. I don't care if he's three years old. I don't care if he is three years old. If that three-year-old black boy, if that three-year-old black boy tells that teacher he's going to shoot her in the face, if that three-year-old black boy tells that principal, I'm going to blow up the school, three years old, he will be expelled from getting an education for the rest of his childhood. Three, five, seven, ten, it don't matter. Black boys cannot get away with the mistakes of white boys. But the problem is the black community is not training its sons. The black community is not training its sons to be disciplined so they can survive racism. We are literally setting our boys up for academic executions in public school. We are literally setting our boys up for academic executions in public school. We are literally setting our sons up for academic executions in public school. We must do better. Tell your son to keep his mouth shut. Tell your son you don't threaten anybody. Tell your son don't take any pictures of other students that could be considered bullying or child pornography. Don't take any pictures of any student that could be considered bullying or child pornography. If they put it on their social media, if they take a picture of another kid 
being embarrassed and put it on the social media, they will be expelled for cyberbullying. 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 They will be expelled. If your son don't listen to you, take his phone away. If your daughter don't listen to you, take the phone away. You can't afford to get those children expelled because you're not teaching discipline. Okay? Even if they get into a fight away from school, even if they get into a fight away from school on the weekend, during vacation, if that fight involves children who attend that school, the school can take jurisdiction over that incident. Let me say it again. Your son beats up another kid on the weekend at the gallery mall. Your son beats up another kid on the weekend at the gallery mall. Because this was a school-related incident, because this was a school-related incident, your son can be expelled or suspended by the school. They are literally, literally, literally throwing black boys out of school for disciplinary infractions. I'm getting phone calls from black mothers and fathers every day. It is a holocaust. It is a holocaust. We got an ADHD holocaust in the schools. We got a psychiatric medication holocaust in the school. We got an intellectual disability holocaust, special ed holocaust. Now we got an expulsion holocaust. Now we got an expulsion holocaust. Now we got an expulsion holocaust. Y'all better get with these children. Letting your son do what he wants is a setup for academic lynching by the classroom snow bunny teacher. Letting your son do what he wants is a setup for an academic lynching by the snow bunny teacher. Keep on going. We are playing right into their hands. We are playing right into their hands. We are playing right into their undisciplined black males. And undisciplined black males is a white male's paradise. Now they got our kids in surgeries. Genital self mutilation is now a civil right for children. If a child wants to mutilate their genitalia, if a boy wants to castrate himself, if a girl wants to castrate her ovaries, she can now do it. It's a civil right. It's a civil right. Genital self-mutilation is now a civil right that children have. The European insanity machine has convinced black people that your child knows at 10 years old what they want to be at 30. We have been convinced 
by the enemies of African civilization. We have been convinced by the enemies of African civilization that a 10-year-old black boy knows what he wants to be at 30 years old. And if your 10-year-old tells you, I want to have genital self-mutilation surgery, you better let me do it or I will go to school and complain that you are denying me my sexual rights to reassign my gender. Mommy and daddy, you are denying me my sexual rights to reassign my gender. And black people are all in on it because whatever Caucasians want to do, whatever the Caucasian says is okay. Whatever the social slave master, whatever society's slave master has to say, we automatically co-sign it. Somebody asked you, will you be getting accreditation at FDMG? Will FDMG be seeking accreditation? It is the state that runs education. It is the state that gives you the license to operate. Accreditation is a voluntary process. Why would I, Dr. Umar Ifatunde, why would I go to a white organization and ask them to evaluate my black school for black children? Why would I go to white people and ask them to approve my black school for black children? Why would a free thinking black man do that? We will not be seeking accreditation for anybody. If you need accreditation, find you a school that has been validated by the white accreditation organizations. But don't send your child to the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy expecting a white stamp of approval. I will not be soliciting any white stamps of approval. And what I find interesting from you Negroes, what I find very interesting from you Negroes, public school been failing black children, public school been failing black children for 70 years. Public school been failing black children for 70 years. You haven't once asked the school district who accredited them. You haven't once asked them for a curriculum review. You haven't once asked them for the budget. So for 70 years, nationally, Public school been failing black children and the black community hasn't asked a word. But soon when a black man opens a black school, the first of its kind in American history, you need a 5,000 page report on why you should send your son. First of all, 
we will not be recruiting students. I'm going to be absolutely clear. We will not be recruiting students. You will apply. You will be evaluated. And we will decide if you and your family are the right fit for the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy. I want to be absolutely clear. And as a parent of the FDMG Academy, you will have responsibilities. And if you fail in your responsibilities to the FDMG Academy, your child will be removed and another child from the waiting list that will be down the street and around the corner will take your child's place. We need a new way of thinking. We need a new way of acting. We need a new way of behaving. We need a new way of becoming. The worst thing black people can do in this 21st century, the worst thing black people can do in this 21st century is emulate the way the white man does things. Because guess what? He hasn't solved any of his problems either. He just happens to be in control. He just happens <laughs> to run the institutions. He just happens to be the controller of opportunities and wealth. But make no mistake, he hasn't solved none of his problems either. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So if the black man simply wants to be a bootleg white man, if the black woman simply wants to be a bootleg white woman, if you want your black son to be a bootleg white man, if you want your black daughter to be a bootleg black white woman, a carbon copy of a failed civilization, the new black America will be a carbon copy of the old white America. Are we serious? Are we serious? We want the new black America to be a bootleg copy of the old white America, and we will call it progress. And we will call it progress. Do you realize one of the most difficult things I've had to train black people to understand about the philosophy and opinions of Dr. Umar Ifatunde Oguntade? One of the toughest things I've had to get black people to understand about me is I don't care what the white man thinks. I don't care what his research shows. I don't care what his premises are. I am a free thinking black man. I think outside of the white box. And if you want to work at FDMG, you better learn how to think outside the white box. And if you want your children to go to the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy, you better learn how to think outside the white box. The problem with black people is they never give a thought to getting out the white box. 400 years later, and we are still in the white box. The average black man and black woman are of the absolute opinion that the white man can do no wrong. We have lifted the <coughs> master 
to the level of a divinity. The white man is a deity in black culture. The white man is a deity in black culture. Let's think about it. You want to dress like him, drive like him, walk like him. Anything he gets, we have to buy it. Anything he sells, we have to buy it. And the more expensive it is, the more we must buy it. Look at the gangster rap community. The gangster rap community is the modern day minstrel show of white civilization. The gangster rap community is the modern day minstrel show of white civilization. The gangster rap, whatever the white man sells, promotes or values. Whatever the Caucasian sells, promotes or values. Whatever the Caucasian sells, promotes or values, the gangster rappers have to buy it. It don't matter how cheap it is, how unnecessary it is, how expensive it is. If the white man says this is important, this is something of value, these goofy ass gangster rappers are going to go buy it. Hit the cash app, dollar sign FDMG school. Hit the PayPal, paypal.me slash FDMG Academy. Today, we continue the chronicles of the notorious outlaw, Alec Deadeye Baldwin, the fastest gun in Beverly Hills. As predicted, that DA out there is slowly burying the case and quietly closing everything down. They telegraphed what their intentions were when they allowed the former assistant director on the movie, Dave Halls, to have a plea deal where he was allowed to get a suspended sentence with only six months probation. <laughs> That's the frame for what they want to do here with Baldwin. The decision has already been made. The white media is not covering this story. They're merely playing their part and explaining to the public why nothing's going to be done about this crime. The DA refused to even arrest Baldwin. And if he has a mugshot, which wouldn't be his first, by the way, they haven't made it public even today. They can't lie and claim that they treat all defendants like this. They can't claim that, well, Alec Baldwin's not being treated differently from any other defendant. Of course he is. Notice that? See the level of lies and the lengths they have to go to in order to try to keep scrutiny away from this. He's being treated completely differently than any defendant you ever heard of. About the only charges left now are just two measly charges of involuntary manslaughter, which, even if Baldwin were to be convicted, only carries an 18-month sentence. And the DA has already said that basically they're going to be letting their jury decide which one to go with, but we all know it's not going to get that far because it's not supposed to. And Alec Baldwin's not the only one getting the velvet glove treatment. The DA is also doing the same for the armorer. You know, she's the woman who was blamed for having had live rounds of the gun in the first place. So just as we see with the thugs in blue, we're not hearing about what law should apply to this particular incident. Instead, the white media is only telling us how allegedly difficult it is to get a conviction. That is, if they report on this at all. Gee, Alec Baldwin killed someone, and yet he's being treated better than Jesse Smollett. Alec Baldwin is a movie star, while Jesse Smollett was a D-list nobody supporting character on a TV show. Though look at how totally differently these cases are being handled. 
Look at the lengths they're going to to protect Alec Baldwin. But of course, we know they're not really protecting Baldwin at all. But we know that this isn't about race because the white media says so. The authorities seem to understand full well that this is all for show. And the white media certainly seems to be in on the joke. And you know who else is too? Hollywood. Well, if nothing else, at least the movie Rust has been canceled, right? I mean, what with someone having been killed and the star of the movie having been charged and the huge scandal it's become, everyone associated with that movie is now looking for a new gig because the film is toast and, oh, wait. Yeah, the scene of the crime will soon resume shooting, no pun intended. Apparently, the people behind this movie see the media attention they've gotten as free PR. I guess for them, the only bad publicity is none at all. They don't seem to have had much problem at all being able to attract new people to come on board the production and work for them. Oh, they're bringing people in. This is not a matter of can we hold on to who we got. It's a matter of, oh, we're bringing in new folks. And as for Alec Baldwin's involvement with the movie now, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Baldwin still has scenes that need to be filmed. But a lawyer representing the production company declined to comment on Baldwin's current legal troubles and whether or not that will impact filming. You get that? They're not saying that, oh, we definitely have to recast. You know, like that movie All the Money in the World did when Kevin Spacey got into trouble a few years back. Instead, what the lawyer for the production company is saying is they can't comment on what they'll do. So that means they're trying to hold on to Alec Baldwin, even after all of this. So just to recap, Jesse Smollett is accused of filing a false police report, and that becomes the crime of the century in Chicago, and the white media goes into a phony feeding frenzy, and his career is over. No one was hurt, except for maybe the feelings of those two Nigerians who are allegedly involved. Yet the white authorities, from the police to the judges, demanded that there be a trial. They were like, we're going to trial with this, because it rises to that level, right? Does it rise to that level for all the white people because it falls against black people? Of course not. It wasn't about yeah. Jesse Smollett. It was about race. And they did all that for what was literally a non-event. Wasted several months and God knows how many millions of dollars for a nothing burger. Meanwhile, Alec Bullseye Baldwin shoots and kills someone. He doesn't get arrested. He merely gets charged. And those are now predictably being downgraded on the way to what will surely be a plea deal, like all the other crimes Baldwin's committed, which I detailed for you in a previous crime report on this very YouTube channel. And now not only is he not going to be losing any acting gigs, he hasn't even lost his job on the very movie that he killed someone on. The white media is not reminding everyone of what a jerk Alec Baldwin is either. They're not trying to make him unsympathetic. They're not reminding people how he treated his former wife, Kim Basinger, and even his own daughter. There's no reminder of all the other crimes he's committed since the mid-90s and all the other times that he's been arrested and charged and let go time after time. No attempts being made to tell the public that this was the inevitable result of a man with too much power and privilege, and he's been allowed to get away with it until it finally came to this. They don't dare frame this story as what the prosecution ought to be doing to get a conviction. No one in the white media is casting aspersions on the DA for reducing the charges, for dropping the charges, reporting on them as being incompetent or soft on crime or bringing on legal experts to say, well, this is what they ought to be doing. They don't need to be dropping the charges. They got a case. They're not saying that, well, the voters in that area are going to be upset if Baldwin doesn't go to prison. They're not doing that. They're not building that kind of narrative. 
They're not bringing out every Hollywood star, writer, actor, or director who ever worked with Baldwin and putting them on the hot seat, throwing a microphone in front of their faces and saying, do you condemn Alec Baldwin? Surely you must feel some kind of way about this. They're not doing that. Lifetime's not putting out any surviving Alec Baldwin specials, which in his case, the title would actually make sense. And there's nobody talking about streaming services or any of these movie studios removing Alec Baldwin's name from any of their projects, from any of their video library. Nobody talking about removing any <coughs> movie that has his name attached to it. None of the phony outrage that we always see directed at black actors and celebrities where the white media pushes a narrative that if a black person's accused of something, why everyone just can't wait to remove anything with their names attached to it because they're just too radioactive. Everyone just wants to forget that this black person over here ever existed. People have been conditioned to expect that, but only if it's a black celebrity that's being talked about. All of this blatant white media censorship that's happening right now isn't because the white media likes Alec Baldwin. It's happening because the white media deals in racial narratives. And since their narratives form the backbone of the propaganda they use to manipulate society, the narratives have to be protected. There's no question Alec Baldwin committed the crime. And there's no question he has a long-standing criminal record. But he's not black. And for the white media, that means this has to be framed as an unintentional tragedy, but certainly not a crime, and definitely not deserving of any punishment. The white media is making a clear example of what they want the public to think about this. Alec Baldwin isn't guilty because they need him not to be. They can't have a face his color being shown as the face of crime. So we get a sympathetic portrayal of the killer, and the prosecution receives no scrutiny for clearly putting on a show of their own. This has to be buried just like Helena Hutchins. Or haven't you noticed that the white media doesn't mention her name? That's the woman who Alec Baldwin killed. The white media isn't reminding you about her name. They're not talking with the family. They're not showing you her face either. This is a form of erasure. Helena Hutchins has to be made into a non-person. Saying the victim's name, showing her face, that would make her real to the public. And the more the public knows about her, the more aware that they are that this was a human being who was killed. This is how they depersonify the victim. The public has nothing to remind them that a person was killed. They don't have a face. They don't have a name. The white media is ignoring her. And that sends the clear message that she must not be worth mentioning at all. And what happened to her couldn't have been that important. Part of sanitizing the death that Alec Baldwin caused is to make sure not to remind the public too much about the person who died. Give as few details as possible. Be as vague as possible. No face, not even a name. Because then the subject becomes just an academic exercise. It's not about punishment. They don't want that. They need this to be a strictly legal exercise and not a question of justice. What comes next, of course, will be the rehabilitation of Alec Baldwin's image, not that he's taken much of a hit. They did it for Mel Gibson, they did it for Liam Neeson, and they'll do it for Alec, too. Don't be surprised if and when you see some public show of support for him by the demented denizens of Tinseltown. If the degenerates in Hollywood are willing to give an Oscar to Roman Polanski and even have Harrison Ford hand-deliver it to him, this after this guy raped and sodomized a teenage girl, if they're willing to do that, they'll stoop to anything. Oh, and by the way, speaking of Roman Polanski... Apparently, that's the kind of character that Alec Baldwin likes to pal around with. 
He certainly has good tastes and friends, doesn't he? But when Alec Baldwin does go back to making movies, not that he's really stopped, nobody's going to throw this in his face. None of this is going to be thrown in his face. Nobody will be reminded of any of this. The same way you hadn't heard about it until I just remind you of it now. Neither the Oscars nor the Golden Globes, not even Saturday Night Live or even South Park or anybody else is going to do any skits bringing this up. This will be treated as if it hadn't happened. They're all just going to pretend as if the only shooting that ever went on on an Alec Baldwin set was from the camera. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Noel Williams, Chris Bennett Sr., O&ME Family Tree, Mark Stroud, and Salim Mohammed. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.